Two consequential issues being tackled by lawmakers at the State House: vaccine mandates and rising crime. Today, more of our sit-down interview with Governor Eric Holcomb. Plus, we'll chat one-on-one with Democratic National Chairman Jamie Harrison. All that, plus the Hoosiers helping our neighbors in Kentucky. Now on this week's edition of In Focus. I intend to do whatever it takes, as long as it takes, as long as it takes to support your state, your local leaders, and as you recover and rebuild. President Biden visiting Kentucky this week to survey the tornado damage after last weekend's deadly storms. Much more on that later. State and federal officials also keeping a close eye on the latest COVID numbers ahead of the Christmas holiday. Here in Indiana, we continue to see rapid spread, and it's caused a lot of problems for Indiana hospitals as we now mark one year since the first vaccines were administered here in the United States. Eric Graves has more today. Inside of the building, we are prepared for what could be our COVID surge to date. Kristen Kelly is a nursing director of infection prevention at IU Health. She, like so many others, saw the first vaccine rolling out a year ago as the turning point in the pandemic. A year later, we are sitting here getting ready to head into what I think is our fourth surge in the hospital. For the first time since December of 2020, more than 3,000 Hoosiers are in the hospital with COVID-19. Kelly says this next month could be extremely concerning. It may be some of the highest rates of spread that we have seen in the two years in this pandemic. Tuesday afternoon, we asked Governor Eric Holcomb about his concern with the current surge. He says his mission is to try and encourage people getting vaccinated is the right choice. We see who ends up in the hospital, we see who ends up in the ICU, and we see, even worse than that, folks who prematurely pass. Sean Granis, the VP of Data and Analytics at Regan Street Institute, says about 80% of new cases are people who are not vaccinated. We're still seeing good news about the vaccine and that that booster shot gives us uh, what looks like to be about five times the protection. Kelly says they are preparing inside the hospital and hoping those outside are as well. And I think it's very important to not to scare people, but to, to warn them so that they can take you know, appropriate actions and, and keep safe. Governor Holcomb says they'll continue to offer National Guardsmen to help hospitals who call on them. And if this recedes, if this, you know, starts to scale back, we'll be, we'll have, we'll scale back, but not until then. All right, more with the governor momentarily. Also at the State House this week, another hearing on vaccine mandates. And that same day, lawmakers discussed another important issue that's been top of mind in recent years, violent crime. I've grown concerned watching the news uh, reports every night of our citizens being killed, and especially those our innocent children who have played no role in anything but have died because of the acts of other people. I think we, we've all heard anecdotally that there are um, neighborhoods or spots within the county uh, where there are problems. Uh, hopefully this bill will give law enforcement a tool that they can use uh, to effectively address those issues. Thursday, Republican lawmakers from the Indianapolis area introduced a series of initiatives in the state Senate, which they say will help fight violent crime in Indy and beyond. It's one of the topics our Kristen Eskow asked Governor Holcomb about in their sit-down interview last week. We showed you their conversation about the pandemic last week. Now here's what he's saying about the issue of violent crime. The f- surging violence here in Indianapolis the city has once again broken its homicide record. 
What are you and state lawmakers doing to try to curb the violence in our capital city? You know, this, this phenomenon is not unique just to our capital city in Indianapolis, but it is, it is painful to watch, um, obviously, any loss of life for any reason. Obviously, our state police continue to assist as we have where needed um, with the IMPD or other parts of the state of Indiana as well. We, what we're, we're not the local police department, but we do assist um, in strategic and tactical ways, and we'll continue to do that and complement those efforts. Obviously, this again will be another discussion that unfolds. Legislators are already starting to say, what more could we do legislatively, not just for Indianapolis, but for the rest of the state that could help curb the violence. And I'm, I'm quite frankly, anxious uh, to see more on that topic and look forward to January when we have these discussions in depth. There's a group of state senators that are saying the state needs to look at uh, legislation about bail reform and things like that. What, where do you stand on that? I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the legislation as it's, as it's uh, written, drafted, and then um, pushed through the legislature. So, you know, to be determined, I want to I wanna make sure I, I, I actually read every word of these pieces of legislation, and one word can make a big difference. And uh, so come January, anything that's constructive, that can help, we need to address, and I, I applaud their efforts. Is there anything you're looking at doing through executive action regarding this violence? No, we'll continue. I, I'm in touch with our state police, uh, the Superintendent Doug Carter, on a very regular basis. Not just again in Indianapolis, but the whole state of Indiana. And um, we'll continue to help where we can. I also want to ask you about the separation of powers lawsuit against the General Assembly, now heading to the Indiana Supreme Court. Can you still work with legislative leadership and get things done this session as that lawsuit is decided by the court? Emphatically, the answer is yes. Uh, I am. I think it was just evidenced. Uh, you know, I worked with them on here's three ways to end the public health emergency. Uh, they agreed with that. I worked. I was with the speaker this morning. So um, there are very good relations um, and there will continue to be. Finally, I wanted to ask you about your future plans. Do you plan to run for another public office in 2024? I have three years left in this job that I was just relatively hired to do for another four years. And that's the only thing I'm focused on. Thank you so much, Governor, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, this week, Kristen is also talking with leading Democrats about some of the big issues on the table and the big elections on the horizon next year and beyond, including the issue in Congress, the president's Build Back Better agenda, which now looks like it could be stalled until the new year. This week, she spoke one-on-one -on -one with Democratic National Chair Jamie Harrison. What are you and your colleagues doing to try to gain more support for this bill? Well, listen, and when you also look at some of the individual uh, components of this bill, they're extremely popular with the American people. And so one of the things that's really important is that we have to educate people about what is in this bill. Take, for instance, one provision of the bill, which is about uh, child care, which is something that so many of us have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I have two kids of my own. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people in this country who are paying thousands of dollars a year in child care. I mean, for some, you know, it, it is almost a third or a quarter of their income that they have is dedicated to childcare. And that's just for one kid. Um, and, and so in this bill, it caps the amount of childcare uh, for folks uh, that they pay on a yearly basis at 7% of your income. 
how do you sell the human infrastructure bill and the bipartisan infrastructure law in a state where most of the congressional delegation doesn't support either one? Yeah, probably most of the delegation doesn't support it, but I can guarantee you uh, uh, that parent that I just talked about would love to have $10,000 in their pockets. Think about what the bipartisan infrastructure law means for Indiana. $6.6 billion dollars uh, in order to, to replace bridges and repair roads, uh, $680 million for public transit, $100 million to help provide broadband across the, the state. I mean, that's a big deal. Right now, there are 200, over 200,000 Hoosiers who currently don't have access to broadband, but this bill will allow that to happen. And what we're trying to do is to find relief for the American people so that they can provide more for their families. They can have a peace of mind, that they can have a good paying job, uh, that they can ride down roads that don't have potholes bigger than I am, that they can actually access the internet and not have to have their kids sitting in a McDonald's parking lot in order to do that. You know, for years, the Republicans under Donald Trump promised to do these very same things, and they failed to do so. In 10 months, Joe Biden has delivered and Democrats have delivered, and we're going to continue to do that. Well, I wanted to ask you about the upcoming midterm elections, uh, which, as you know, history has shown the first midterm after a president is elected can be challenging for the president's party here in Indiana. We've got Senator Todd Young up for re-election, and he's had strong support in the past. So what are you and your party doing to try to avoid losing control of Congress to the Republicans next year? Well, you know, I'm very fortunate that we have such a great Indiana Democratic Party uh, chaired by Mike Schmuel, who's doing such a fantastic job of going into areas that Democrats uh, have not gone to in a long time to make sure that the message of how we have delivered for the people uh, is actually getting out there. And so one of the things that I know is history also taught us last election cycle, well, going into last election cycle, we knew history said that incumbent presidents don't lose. Well, for the first time in 30 years, an incumbent president lost. History also taught us that uh, in states like Georgia, you can't win runoff elections if you have a D behind your name. Well, we, only, we not only won one, we won two. So I am a believer that you can make your own history. And that's what we're doing right now. We are delivering for the American people. We're selling what we are delivering to the American people. And we're letting the American people know how the Republicans have refused to come to the table to deliver for them. And I think is, that's going to be the recipe to allow us to buck history. Uh, is the party as a whole, is the party as a whole moving toward a more progressive focus or will you lean on candidates with more moderate viewpoints to be successful in 2022 and 2024? We're going to lean on candidates who reflect the districts that they run in. So if you're in a progressive area, be progressive. If you're in conservative area, be conservative. Just be what genuinely what the people in your district that you want to represent what they want. And I think that's the important thing. All right, coming up next, we'll talk more about the bills at the State House dealing with violent crime. We'll discuss that issue with our panel, including with a former state senator who also ran for mayor. Plus a look at the Hoosiers helping our neighbors in Kentucky. Straight ahead. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. Laura Beck, Tony Samuel, Robin Winston, and former state senator Jim Merritt with us today as well. Welcome to you all. Jim, you, of course, also ran for mayor in 2019 and talked a lot about this issue of crime. It has no doubt been worse these last two years throughout the pandemic. Now lawmakers in the state Senate where you served are, are looking to take action this year. 
Yes, they are. And I'm glad they are. I, I think uh, this coming session, we need we can't lose uh, track or, or the vision of that bail is a principle and that freedom and that uh, uh, people might be accused, but they're not guilty. And, and I think it's important that 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 principle in life stays. Uh, and two, I, I do believe that these these charity funds, these uh, the bail project in particular, needs a government framework. And, and I think if we keep those two uh, principles involved, I think it'd be um, a good, uh, productive legislative session. And, and uh, I'll be watching very closely. That issue of bail and groups like the Bail Project no doubt have been in the news a lot lately, uh, something we focused on as well. Uh, Laura, your, your view from across the aisle, how do Democrats feel about uh, some of these proposals uh, at the Statehouse this year? Well, I mean, I can I can speak for uh, myself as a Democrat and myself as someone who lives um, in the center of Indianapolis. I mean, I think anything we can do to work across party lines um, to fight and address crime is really important. Um, there are some proposals in there that, um, for instance, um, Senator Kreider's proposal about directing more funds to high high crime areas and having the Indiana Criminal Justice Institute be a part of that. Um, there are definitely some that I think uh, will likely be worth exploring. I do think, though, that if you're going to address crime, you're going to fight crime, um, having worked with uh, law enforcement agencies over the years, it's really important that you're reaching across the aisle to do it. And I think that is really going to be absolutely essential. Um, and uh, you don't want it to look political. You don't want it to be political. You've got to work together. And so as these folks are, are bringing these proposals up, I certainly hope that they are reaching across the aisle to make that happen. Tony, how do you address some of those concerns uh, to those who might feel the state government uh, shouldn't be exercising perhaps this kind of local control when it comes to oversight of, of issues here in Indianapolis? Well, when you look at the Marion County homicide rate setting a record uh, again, uh, multiple years of uh, more and more murders and crime going up across the board, this isn't anything new, but it's gotten worse over the years by Democrat policies, frankly, of, of, of defunding the police and allowing nonprofit organizations to get taxpayer funds and then uh, bail folks out of jail that are violent and then go and commit crimes and, and, and have committed murders and other crimes. So that needs to stop. And it's uh, I'm encouraged that that Senator Freeman has a bill towards that, that uh, Senator Sandlin has a bill which will allow police departments uh, throughout the area to communicate and, and share information. And, and Senator Kyle Walker has a, a bill regarding ankle bracelets that you, yeah. if you try to cut it off, you, you can't, you can't uh, have that privilege any longer. This crime is, you know, it's got to stop. There's got to be an answer. If, if we had Jim Merritt as mayor, um, you know, that, that would have helped a great deal. Um, but something has to be done. And, and I agree with Laura. They, it's a bipartisan issue. Crime is affecting everyone. The inner city, the suburbs, or, you know, all around the, the state. So everybody has to work together to get this result. Robin, your, your take on all this? My take on it, first off, we're not defunding police. If you look at the most recent budget by the mayor, approved by the city county council, there's a record amount of money being spent on police, on supporting our police and those things. So that's one. Number two, I remember working with then Governor Frank O'Bannon. We put 500 more police on the street in Indiana. Uh, Senator Merritt, you probably remember the Senate then. And the person that led the walk down the uh, aisle with the governor was Jack Cotty, the Marion County Republican Sheriff. So there is no Democrat way or Republican way to solve it. Finally, Dan, our community has showed, whether it's the Pan Am Games, the Super Bowl, or whatever, when we work collaboratively together, 
we can accomplish great things. I don't think we do policy by press conference. I think we do policy by getting around the table and seeing what we can work on together so that in the final analysis, I'm worried about the person living on Olney or Mass Avenue or those places that really see the crime up close and personal. We'll see how it all plays out uh, in the coming session. Senator, I want to ask you about another big issue at the State House that played out in, in yet another lengthy hearing Thursday on the issue of vaccine mandates. Where do you see that discussion going this year with the governor and the Indiana chamber saying businesses should have the right to enact those mandates? Some Republican lawmakers uh, are, are saying they, they don't think uh, that businesses should be able to flatly apply those mandates. Well, it's it's uh, it, it's very difficult to comment on because there's so is so divergent of, of ideas here and, and where the facts are, are right in the middle. And uh, I was really disappointed this last session when the legislature and the governor couldn't get together on uh, on you know, House Bill 1123, where they would have emergency powers. And I think, I think they need to get together and really come with, a, with a, uh, a good piece of legislation or just an agreement uh, between Democrats, Republicans, and the governor. And, and, uh, but I also think we need bold leadership. I think we ought to understand that we are going into a time where we have to understand that, that some parts of the pandemic uh, are always going to be with us. And a leadership has to go that direction with the legislature and the governor. And uh, all by all appearances, that is actually the okay. fact that we are going to be dealing with, you know, Delta, Omicron, yeah. and probably another um, another uh, okay. variant of the pandemic. Yeah. We have to get used to it. Okay. Laura, your view on how, how this may play out between the governor and state lawmakers this year on a host of issues, it seems they may be split in this coming session, including uh, over what to do with all this extra revenue that the state has now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think some of this extra revenue we have uh, is coming from the um, American Rescue Plan. And I think it's important, again, that we are mindful of talking about the bipartisan efforts that are that are making this possible. Um, I think anytime you've got um, members of the same party that are in charge, you're always going to have um, differing viewpoints and differing opinions, and it's always going to play out in public because the people who typically are challenging you tend to see themselves as uh, in your seat and in your chair. Um, so I think that's something we always have to be mindful of. Um, I do think that uh, because the governor uh, is term limited, you are going to see a lot of folks um, in his own party, particularly, who are going to be uh, auditioning via press conference or elsewhere for that job. Um, but at the same time, as we talk about COVID and as we look ahead, I think that's going to be one of the biggest pieces this session that we're going to have to keep an eye okay. on, uh, with this, especially yeah. with this Omicron wave coming. Yeah. Um, just to be clear, businesses know what's best for their business okay. and let okay. them run their own yep. businesses. Okay. At the federal level, it was a busy week in Congress. Still no vote, though, in the Senate on the Build Back Better legislation. That's certainly something that we'll be talking about here in the weeks to come as well. Coming up next, helping our neighbors to our south in Kentucky. We'll take a close look at some of the Hoosiers helping in the state of Kentucky after last week's tornadoes. From our vantage point, we can look directly northeast from our location and see the path of the tornado. Well, from food donations to potentially life-saving intervention, a lot of Hoosiers have been on the front lines helping in Kentucky in the aftermath of last weekend's storms. 
We got these pictures this past week from Indiana Task Force One. They've been right in the middle of it all, helping in the aftermath of those deadly tornadoes in Kentucky. Stick around. We'll be right back to wrap things up after this. Welcome to Sunday mornings, Dan. You're going to love it. Uh, it it's a great opportunity to interview important guests. And he was our very first important guest on this program back in 2015. You saw Chris Wallace right there. He announced last week he's leaving Fox News Sunday. We spoke with him at the RNC one-on-one -on -one in 2016. You know, he was at Fox News some 18 years, moderating presidential debates along the way. We will miss him on Sunday mornings and wish him all the best in his next big move. All right, time to wrap things up now with this week's winners and losers. Laura, I'll start with you. Well, I think this is my last show of the year, so my winners are uh, the people at Fox who put the show together and you, Dan. Oh, um, you guys do a great job, and thanks <laughs> for making it easy for us. <laughs> it's a whole team, and we've got a great great team here, no doubt. Appreciate that, Laura. We thank you. Uh, Tony, you're up next. My winners are the folks that testified in the hearing earlier this week on the uh, employer vaccine mandate bill. Uh, they did a, a great job, a lot of great testimony. And uh, they talked about uh, natural immunity, which I've been talking about quite a bit, and personal liberty. So winners are those folks, and also Chairman Heath Van Adder, Chair of the Committee, and Representative Matt Lehman and the Speaker of the House for bringing the, the bill. Robin. My winner is Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir, whose U.S. Senators are Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. In addition, working with Joe Biden, he's bringing them all together to address the disaster in Western Kentucky. Senator, you get the last word this week, and we thank you for being with us here. Well, thank you. It was a treat. Uh, Urban Meyer, the Jags coach mm. that just uh, was fired uh, after not even a year in, yeah. in, uh, in Jacksonville. And my winner is the Indiana taxpayer. Uh, we have a, a surplus, and by law, uh, that taxpayer, every taxpayer gets $125 uh, check in the mail. There you go. Nice little Christmas present there. Hey, a happy holiday to you all. Thank you for being with us this week. We'll see you again in 2022. Have a great weekend.